0: Okay. Okay. Four seven two one 7 the 2
1: let us intercept the final
2: Welcome to RC Heli Nation version 2.0. I am Nick. Episode number two hundred and fifty-one. We have no Dan. Dan's taking the week off. He got uh he got swamped with the workage. And so he
3: is Ooh.
2: Yep, he's taking a taking a vacay day. Or a, a weekend, should I Not say. Not really. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, actually he's working. <laughs> yeah. He's working. taking a vacay day from the fun stuff and adding in a day of pfft. yeah, no fun. Mm. But with me this evening, we have Justin, Jesse. Sop.
4: How's it going?
2: And Sage. Hey guys. So yeah, full house. Um Yeah, I don't know. Feels kind of good. I'm I'm excited. I'm actually I don't know why, but I'm feeling unusually spunky for Ten o'clock mm. at night? Could oh. it be?
0: <laughs> the coffee's helping.
2: Uh, oh, dude! No, we're double the spiked fisting. The coffee. <laughs> this is this is. Hold on. Is the coffee spiked? Well, technically... No, my
1: mouth is. Sorry. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> let me let me let me re- rephrase the question, Nick. Is the hot apple pie spiked with coffee?
2: Ooh. When I take question. a sip of both, yes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 oh.
4: It's like oh,
2: too hot
1: in too my cold. left hand. I have otherwise
3: coffee.
2: the mug of coffee is long since gone cold. Yes, and the hot apple pie has Jeez. long since decreased in volume in my right hand. Hmm. Well, I uh, I'll I'll actually go ahead and start just because we're discussing that. I cleaned out my trailer. It mm. was trailer cleaning week, and if you've ever had a fun fly inside of your trailer. You know that that's not a small task. They're get
1: by the end of that weekend, your trailer
2: stunk like shit. It was bad. (laughs) It really was. It was just a because so why it does is because so much stuff gets spilled from the hours of I would say Mm. eleven p.m. until
4: two thirty a.m. But I mean, that's why you didn't put carpet in there. No, I agree. So you
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but
4: he has to sleep in it each
2: night. So then you put a, this time a stinky myself in it at night, uh without having the motorhome. You get you get you mix up some nitro on the counter, you mix up some hot apple pie, some scotch, some some Puerto Rican Don was, there any,
1: was there a little bit of vomit too or no
2: uh, no vomit this year no I don't think in the no, trailer know. and then old uh, old food in the garbage and mm. it just it just gets this amazing uh,
4: just and well don't forget you seal it up tight
2: yeah then you seal it up <laughs> Let real it bake tight. all night yeah <laughs> yeah yep. turn the heater on turn the heater yeah it gets pretty stank in there so I finally kind of went out and was like, "All right, I got to do it," because I I had stuff that needed to get done this week. In, in uh, and in cleaning, I pulled out an ice chest, opened it up, and found probably the world's best present, which was a gallon of hot apple pie. Ooh! Very so I nice. have been sipping it like a gentleman the- for the last couple
4: evenings. So as you're cleaning, though, does the contents? of your trailer change. Oh, from I mean cuz right now you know that you know fun fly season's winding down. RCHN4 is over. Do you like actually pull stuff out and just leave it in your shop now?
2: Uh you know with the I've got it. I got to say, you know, and I had made a comment at um when we were doing the live recording and Justin and I were actually laughing about this last night the, about how it felt easy. This year, and I, I really wasn't mm-hmm. trying to discredit all of Justin's hard work and in, in organizing everything, but it was just a from a, a from a once we got there standpoint, um, it was so much easier because we were so much more prepared. And in part, my part of that, the trailer side of it, it it went so flawless this year. Our audio gear was set up exactly the way that I wanted it. It was consistent. And in that, I really have it down to the point where the speakers, our audio system, just stay in the trailer. Mm-hmm. And I have one big Rubbermaid bin that has our air quotes, fun fly stuff in it. So we've got cones and clipboards and all that kind of stuff. And then I have a huge, long uh, cardboard box that has all the banners. Past that, like that is the fun fly stuff. So I really don't have to change much. Now, I did notice that when I came back, I had new things that weren't mine. <laughs> oh, yeah. That always and happens. I Some was, of
1: them were mine. They were supposed to come home with me.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I was missing things that were mine. But nothing bad, nothing tragic. You know, you're missing a driver here and there uh or a tool, or this, or that. It might surface, and it might not. You never know. It's not the end of the world. I lost two chairs.
1: Two chairs? Two chairs. Usually yep. I Okay, end up... now, hold on, hold on. There, This is not, it's not a complete bad story. I lost two chairs, but I gained a pop-up tent and two tables. Yeah, <laughs> See? Good mm. trade, good trade. Good trade. So, you know, I mean, it's it, it works out in the end.
2: Yeah, I usually end up with a different color chair every year. Yeah. <laughs> you just kind of rotate.
4: Where'd this come from?
2: Yeah. Oh well. Tis the uh tis the world of the fun fly. So no, once I got it all cleaned out, then it was it, it was a little bit of diligent testing week. So I have some fantastic news, and I, I am so stoked to share this because it is a temporary solution and a very valid, like it could be a permanent um solution. For those of us who were having RPM output problems with the version four Hobby Wing ESCs, uh, through a little bit of messing around, you know, we had that amazing discussion at the Funfly with everyone talking to Alex at MSH. You know, he's super sharp when it comes to that sort of stuff. And Justin, I I asked Justin threw in a little bit of a um, little bit of his bits in there as well. So I put everything together, tested, and oh my goodness, if I did not solve my problem. Now, uh the flybarless systems that seem to show, I think, three digits still up in the air.
0: No, we're good on three digi. You're good on three digi. Okay. So I uh, use pull down mode and you are hundred percent good.
2: That's correct. Because the signal that's coming out of the hobby wing, uh, the RPM signal is called a pull. It's a pull down. And where it has problems, and and we're trying to go through the fly. Apparently, the brain does not, brain or icon does not, because they have some circuitry inside there um, that can deal with that. Uh, the neos I'm not having since all of the latest updates. And again, guys, you got to get everything updated. Your neos updated, and the um and the speed controllers updated. I'm not having any problems on any of my neos. Uh, But I was still having problems on my old V-bars, including the mini V and the full size. So what I did to solve this, kind of thinking back a little bit, this was the same problem that Scorpion had when they released their RPM um, signal coming out of their speed controllers when they had the opto, the 90 and the 130 and the 160, I think. And And so they created the Opto cable for that. Justin, can you give a little bit of a uh, just a quick technical description of what that does?
1: It just isolates the signal uh, from the uh, internal portion of the ESC to whatever it's being sent out to. That's pretty much it. It's It's basically to isolate the the two power systems. Uh, either the BEC, which is connected to the RPM out signal on the ESC or on the receiver side. So in order to do that, you basically run in the simplest sense, the way to to describe it is you run the signal uh, from the ESC, the RPM signal, which is a series of pulses, right? You run that into the quote optocoupler. And what the optocoupler is, is it's basically a small LED, a light emitting diode, usually infrared. Um, and it's paired up with a receiver on the other side that captures the pulses of light or IR from that, that diode and translates those back into signals that are referenced to the ground uh, of the, e- or of the um, receiver or fly system. And so the information is transferred, but the
2: power systems can remain separate. It's like a translator. That's how I think of it. It's like it's like one person that speaks the language, speaks a universal language that can listen to all the other different kind of types and and intensity of signals and just does one kind of constant output. That's it, I, yeah, I,
1: I guess you can it. it. It's not really a translator, but that's a reasonable analogy. I mean, I mean, for those people that understand electronics, it's it's like a transformer. Yeah, yeah, that's it. The primary sides on the ESC, the secondary sides on the receiver, it's coupled together by a piece of iron in the middle and the signal on the primary side gets transferred to the secondary side, but they can have completely separate ground references. Yeah, so signal, but no power. Yeah. Yes, sir. That so, is correct.
2: Um what you have And Nick will
1: get to why that's important.
2: Yes. Uh so this does work 100%. I've tested it on both um with the last set of updates I my my Heli was the 700 was flyable like I could actually flip it up. It was reading RPM. I could see the RPM on the V control. Uh my, you know, my banks would would change. I wasn't getting any weird behavior, but I was still getting errors in the logs, gov input errors. Uh, Now that was an improvement prior to the updates because before then it wasn't flyable. And when I say not flyable, you will have a huge array of symptoms, you know, won't spool all the way up, spools up, tail twitches, everything. The log is the tell all here. Period. So if anyone's having external governor problems, you need to get into your logs on your fly barless system. Uh, no question, because that's where what gets put in the log is much smarter than what the helicopter actually exhibits for symptoms. So, um, yes. Now, where it got a little tricky, I did it wrong the first time, dawned on me uh, well, how and why I did it wrong. So the way that that opto cable comes is it's got a female on the input side and a male servo lead on the output side. Well, the Hobby Wing RPM is just, uh, that signal is just a single wire. So, but what you have to do for this, the, the optocoupler to work is you have to power and ground it as well. So just take a really um, short, this is what I did, like a little three inch male to male servo extension. And you can do it either way. Take the positive and the negative out of one end. Ditch the signal on both ends altogether and slide it in the connector with your RPM output on the hobby wing or vice versa. Pull that one out and slide it in here. But at any rate, get power for the opto cable from your fly barless system, feed it in and then coming out of it, just plug it straight into your RPM port and lotty freaking duh. Problems solved, tested, verified, flies great, no errors whatsoever. So that Hell was yeah, dude, yeah, and that's a big deal. That's awesome because there's there's a lot of uh, uh you know, old us old V bar guys that were just you know we really like especially when you get into the V control, being able to control everything from the radio. And so, uh, yeah, now moving forward, I don't know what, I don't know. Hobbywing is now uh, aware of the problem. I actually sat down and and talked with them and kind of told them how and and what was going on and why. And this, for the record, this is exactly why Scorpion did this back in the day. That's why they made that cable because they ran into the same problem. So how they fix it kind of, you know, is irrelevant at this point. We have a fix. We, you, know, you can buy that cable. They're not that expensive, and it'll get you up and running. You could leave it on there forever, and it would be perfectly fine. I don't know if they're going to be able to fix it with an update or whatnot, but that kind of is what it is. I can also let out a little bit of a secret in that hopefully maybe in the future um, if everything works out well, there will be a pretty big uh, update from hobby wing as well in the external gov world. So I'm excited about that one. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: Yeah. So uh, yeah, that was that. I I just, I put a lot of effort into that this week to try and get that figured out. And um, man, it's really cool. I, I also spent some time in the backyard. And if you've seen my backyard, you know this is pretty sketchy, I'm gonna admit it. <laughs> Spooling up a seven hundred. Oh man. Yeah. I can see it no. now. Oh dude. I can
3: see it. Now. What?
2: Oh, I was doing ha- I was doing half barrel flips in the backyard with oh, the yeah. seven hundred. I ain't scared. There's <laughs> trees. Yeah. He's going to hit a tree before it gets out of his backyard. <laughs> it's
1: all fun and games until you chop your power line off.
2: I don't have a power line. It's underground. Anymore. Yeah, I oh, put it underground. That's true, dude. Yeah.
1: Yep, yep. Problem right, solved. Right. Never uh,
2: mind. In that case, go for it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, sure. Half have- Pyro flip away. Well, dude, full Pyro
2: flips. Uh, no. TikToks. <laughs> 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 yeah, all TikToks. Pyro <laughs> TikToks. <laughs> pyro TikToks. I actually feel more comfortable about Pyro TikToks than Pyro flips. Because those climb <laughs> automatically. I can't keep them from climbing, unfortunately. Uh, no, so that was, I mean, that was pretty much kind of the gist of my week. It was it was mostly just working with that, uh, making sure everything was updated. And I had started doing a bunch of research trying to decide. Um, I've kind of made some decisions. And with the, uh, a news announcement that we're going to be making, this changes Everything for me in the world of my quest to, uh, I want to get back in touch with other fly barless systems F- for the record on, on my personal note, I still think V bars the best. That's just me personally. I don't anticipate anyone beating them. So why, if I think that's the best, do I want to actually fly other ones? Well, it's because I just want to get back in touch cuz you have
4: so much time on your hands. That... <laughs>
2: well, and I, I'm willing to sacrifice a model.
4: You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've got Got to keep the one.
2: Yeah, I've got well, but... dude, I've got plenty hanging on the wall and I've flown them for so long now that I can tune them on a V-bar with my eyes closed. Mhm. So I just it's like, yeah. Okay. I think it'll be good cuz that way I'm not committed to it. I don't ex- I don't need it to fly awesome. I can dink with it if I feel like. And there's, you know, there's so many cool features out now that have been, that weren't there before. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's well, so
0: much active development on today's flybrowless units. So yeah. I, anything could change
2: at any time. Exactly. Definitely. So, yeah, that's kind of the plan going forward is that I was thinking that I was going to have to make some big changes, but uh, in talking with everyone kind of has been really understanding you know from the sponsorship side about my position and it's like i don't i didn't really want to have to change anything i just needed a couple more options and so far everyone's been really cool about it so yeah nice i'm yep. still
1: i think that's pretty freaking badass yeah I'm glad that's awesome that they did that
2: yeah 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 it's well they get it you know i think and i think that's key with sponsorship situation if you get to the point where you enjoy flying something else
4: more then just quit
2: because <laughs> you don't really you know what I mean
4: yeah your heart's not yeah. in it anymore for that sponsor Yeah, yeah if it's like point.
2: well I'll do this but man I really like those other ones better well then you're not in the right spot to begin with but I don't anticipate anything beating beating my my combo but we shall see I think that is it uh, can't think of anything else yeah I think that's it for me ladies and gentlemen we
3: are honored to introduce to you Sir Isaac McSwashballs the third
2: you have given your all upon thy sticks You've fallen quite short. Well, you flew like shit. Now at thy feet lay a pile of rubbish. Get out thy tools and don't be sluggish. What is this you say? Where are all my parts? To see her broken, it tears out my heart. For there is one man. That will march through a blizzard. He'll get you your parts. The legend. The wizard.
3: Catch that wizard while you can at www.lowerhelly.com.
1: I actually did a little bit of ESC fun myself. Uh, I didn't really solve any problems per se this week. I may have actually created one. We're going to find out when it actually gets remade. <laughs> um, so, you know, we've been talking a lot since Urcha about the Goblin 500 uh, sport as the speed heli. And of course, Nick, you've been talking about it for close to a year while I've been secret squirreling it. And so, the, you know spent a lot of time initially with the two blade testing you know getting some good speeds there uh, up in the 205 to 210 kph which is for uh, you know english units people in the 120s high 120s you know 130 ish somewhere in that range then i switched to the three blade and i i've got enough data now to the point where i'm feeling fairly confident in saying that the three blade performs equivalently to the two blade, at least with me behind the sticks. That's the only apples to apples comparison I've got is my two blade version versus my three blade. And what I like about it, that is different than the two blade. And I think is somewhat could be somewhat of a draw for newer speed pilots is that the three blade head, flies so much more stably and you know that's that's kind of hard to fathom and I know you can appreciate this Nick because flying your two blade that thing locks in doesn't it
2: oh well you just
1: set it and forget it
2: and I'm kind of cheating too because now that all that is out I am flying a a set Uh, Justin has tried them as well and they are the ones that I broke but I'm flying a, a custom set from Sab. They're 525s, I believe, or 520s? Uh, They're
1: 520s, 520s, yeah. yeah. So Enrico basically made a a couple of sets of custom-weighted 1D versions of the 500, 520, and then the 465 three-blades for me when I was doing this testing. So once I got done with the two-blade testing, I gave my blades to Nick, and so Nick has been flying on those until
2: you... Uh had your little mishap, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now they did made you ever
1: my, get another set of yeah, the two blades? Yeah, back? that's okay, what I do.
2: That's do. what I test ran uh test ran them at our fun fly with at our fun fly was just to but make yeah, sure. And it's dude that thing oh locks my gosh. In. The difference between like the five hundred three D blades and and not the extra length, but the stability on the speed specific. Oh, it's just, it's so hands-off, it's not even funny.
1: It is. You literally just set the line, and you can just let the the transmitter hang there. No problems whatsoever. So, with that said, switching to the 3-blade, I didn't believe it was possible. Now, I've flown 3-blade very limited in 3D, just trying other people's helis, and there's a notable difference. Uh, now, you know, I, I can't say that... I've got a real good feel for it because I never had the opportunity to sit there and really do the tweaking and tuning for my own style. But there's a noticeable difference. You go to three blade on speed and you think it shouldn't be that big of a deal. And yet this is it's even more well behaved than the two blade is because it's not even it's not even a matter of um, with the two blade. It's still very fluid if that makes sense, you got to run really low gains and you're relying primarily as we've discussed in speed on the mechanical uh, inertia or the, the momentum built up in the head of those heavier blades at higher head speeds. Uh, That's great. But when you go to the three blade, you don't lower your head gains all that much, or at least in my experience, I did not. And it feels so much more crisp in terms of control. Mm. Uh, it really does feel very sim like. So, mm. that kind of a tangent, but point being that I'm I'm becoming more and more confident based on my apples to apples comparison between 2 and 3 blade on this model, that 3 blade is at least equal to
2: in speed. Okay.
1: But now in in speed and, in this and size, I have though. seen I have seen limited not a not I wouldn't call them a majority of my runs and I'll go back and check but I would say 10 to 20% of my runs on the 3 blade exceed the maximum that I've ever recorded on the 2 blade by 5 to 8 miles
4: per hour. Now my my question would be do you also see the other, I guess, what we would consider negatives
2: oh, yeah. <laughs> in 3D,
4: such as the higher amperage, oh, yeah. harder, you know, oh, higher impacts yep. and lower flight times. So,
1: um, you know, there are a couple of people at our fun fly that'll probably be listening to this and thinking, oh, yeah, he does, because I did a couple of demo flights with it for the guys that were interested in speed. And they were particularly interested in seeing a three blade smaller model fly. So you go up there and it's actually kind of anticlimactic because on on one hand, you're like, holy shit, that thing's moving and it sounds amazing. And before you know it, four passes are done and I've got a land. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure <laughs> James like James Cadiz was fly, was uh, um, sitting next to me while I was flying one of the flights. And I'm like, OK, and that's it. He's like, dude, that's it. You're done. Like, yeah, four, not five not four and a half, four, a cool-down lap, and then you got to, like, pull the packs, put them in the shade in, like, tall grass. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they come down at, like, 140 degrees.
2: Yeah, and I can get, I'm closer to six. I can do, like, six or seven passes, and mine are in the 120 range,
1: yeah. Yours, if I remember correctly, yours get pretty toasty, especially toasty. the not the current set, but remember the previous set where they started getting worse and worse. Oh
2: yeah, then I had oh well my god, the dude, they were really
1: warm. Yeah, they were warm.
2: So, so it's,
1: yeah, it's at you're right, price. Jesse. You it, it comes out of price, but yeah, you're I kind of feel like it. it's one of those things where like it's almost sort of worth it because yeah. of the wow factor.
2: You know what I mean? Because it sounds really cool. But the bottleneck, there's no question, though, that the bottleneck in that size is batteries. See, that's the cool part. It's not... Like, you get up into the 700 size, and you're not only bottlenecking with batteries, but you're you're getting to the point where you're going to run out of current with your speed controller. This, like, we're good there. We have lots of room to go speed controller-wise, but you just... Can't freaking get six s packs in that size range um in that configuration because you need them to be shorter and a little bit taller almost like the well, old Gen and Z's i think stuff
1: ultimately the you know you are limited by the the geometry of the battery tray area i mean there are bigger six s packs that are still i'd call them mid size like a three thousand 3300 that would probably do a little bit better even if their current performance isn't better they're more massive like weight wise so they will handle the heat a bit better but these 2700s man they get eaten alive oh yeah so but that's Hmm. that's a good segue into into the the main point here which was i set out to to determine what my next step would be I don't feel like I'm done yet. I'm only running it at 3,500 RPM. It's got to have more. Although I will be somewhat more cautious about it than the uh, than the the R5. But I, I kind of feel feel like six elevens at 3,700 versus four sixty fives at 3,500. That's like that's not a big
4: deal, yeah. Right? But we remember work,
1: what I ran into four thousand. So
4: you're gonna go up a thousand then, right? Yeah,
1: <laughs> You know what? To sound like an
4: oxy. <laughs> Jesse. Yeah, I'm gonna
2: tell you right now, it's not gonna work because I I am running thirty five fifty at 14, 14 and a half degrees a pitch, and that's it. Like no more. Anything more than that, and the battery's just tank like exponentially actually
1: you know what nick you're right i i gotta go back on that i i was mixing up my three blade numbers with my two blade two blade i was running 3500 on the three blade i think i'm at about 32 or 3250
2: yeah it's the batteries it's the volt and that's that's why i went with the 130 was to try to get into 14 cell so that i could just yes week a little bit more out of the packs because it's i mean i tried third even 3600 No, my current goes way up my my it's just not good temperatures get stupid high on the packs it, it's not it doesn't work
1: yep exactly and so to that end um i looked at i looked at the esc for two reasons the first one the the main or the primary motivation for me was the weight okay when I put this together, it was kind of a, you know, what do I have lying around? Okay, I'll buy a couple of things, but we got to get it in the air and get testing. And so I went with a Hobbywing 100 HV, the version 3, freaking spectacular speed controller, as you guys know, uh, but it doesn't have an uh, a BEC in it. So what did I have lying around? Well, I'm a little embarrassed to admit it, but it works. A castle B E C pro. <laughs> nice. Okay. And and, and get and get this, Jesse. Across 12S.
4: <laughs> oh, now you're risking it. Oh yeah. <laughs> now yeah. you're asking so, for it.
1: Anyway, the bottom line is that when you do the math on that, that adds a decent amount of weight. And going to the three blade to begin with, you get the added mass of the third grip. Of the third blade, although it, it's almost the same, the 465 three blade set with the speed weight in it, I think is just a slight bit heavier than the two 520s. Um, bottom line is it's a heavier model. And when Nick and I was were doing some comparison on our two, even in two blade configuration, I'm, I'm thinking if I remember correctly, we were. What was it? A half a pound different, Nick? Yeah, it's a big... Or or a third of a pound difference? Nah,
2: it was half, yeah. It was a big difference.
1: So mine was up at like seven and a half pounds. So I said, I got to bring the weight down because that'll certainly help the three blade. Uh, So, hobby wing 130, right? Uh, As a result, I decided to go with the 130. I have installed it this week. It is fantastic because it gets rid of the Castle BEC. Uh, which actually does two things for me. The only location I could get the Castle BEC to fit was in the back, like underneath and behind the tail servo. If you guys know how mm-hmm. the 500 sport is laid out. So that that hurts from a standpoint of CG. Okay, because that's behind the main shaft a little bit, which means I've got to put more uh, put more weight up front. um, And so... Get rid of the Castle BEC, stick the 130 in there. Now I've got a 14S speed controller with a BEC. I have dropped 240 grams. Nice. By doing the ESC, the BEC, cleaning up the wiring. Um, And then what else did I do? I also removed a couple of braces that I had put in um to stiffen the frames. And in particular when I was using the stacked batteries, Nick, if you remember yeah, not oh yeah. the the stick tray setup. So, you know, about a little less than a half a pound or or around a half a pound. Uh and she's coming in at about seven and a quarter now. Now you're thinking it should have been more like seven, but remember I've got the three blade head on there. Yeah. And so full size think-
2: servos too. And
1: full-size servos. That's right. You have minis on yours, don't you? I do. Okay. So uh, that's where we're at. I'm excited about this. I'm hoping everything's going to go well. I'll be honest. I'm a little nervous about the, we talked a bit about the hobby wing uh, overcurrent (laughs) shutdown. Although I think you convinced me that it's such a small little blip that it probably is going to be inconsequential in the middle of a speed
4: flight. Yeah, I'm not, but I don't, and if it does affect anything, it'll be so fast. You won't even know what happened. Yeah. yeah.
2: You, you mean the explosion, <laughs> Jesse? Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Dude. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know what? His lid on fire and he it in and he still didn't know what happened. So don't worry about it. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's a
1: good point. Good point. So that one's going to get maidened here, hopefully pretty soon. Um, probably not this weekend because we're doing a family trip. We're leaving tomorrow, Friday, and may not be back until sometime on Sunday, but we'll see. We'll come up with something there, um, to get that one remaidened. the, uh, let's see here. The other thing is it is definitely getting into fall, autumn, winter, whatever the hell you want to call it. And so it's interesting Uh, I got in the space of a couple of days, two or three listeners pinged me and they were like, hey, we remember you talked about that jetty uh, heating system that you were working on last winter. Did you ever finish it? The answer is yes, I did. I'm going to write up a tech tip. It'll probably be a quick and easy one so I don't dwell on it for the next six months like I usually do. But. It got me thinking about winter stuff, and I know we're not quite there yet, but that is something that I will get out hopefully long before winter for most people so that those people with jetties can uh, get them set up. So here's the advanced tip. If you've heard this and you're interested, do yourself a favor now and go to Hobby King and buy the Turnigy, uh lipo warmers off of their website because that's what we need to do we take one of those we butcher the shit out of it and then we cram it into the back of our 800 to thousand dollar radios
4: let's pray for the best as if it wasn't enough I of mean, just, fire hazard just to make sure i lay for. it out on the
1: ground there that's exactly what's happening so <laughs> at least you're honest oh
4: man yeah you also need to install an auxiliary smoke detector in case you you do have to you can't
1: go all the way up to full heat internal fire no extinguisher. Stay. I I think you would burn your fingers first before you did any real damage to the radio. But I'm not interested. It's, in It's got a little Tesla
2: system in it. It's just
4: like oh, gotta touch your radio. Just ah t- 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 uh, oh, crap. How do you <laughs> no, unplug your you finger can't even t- and touch it? And it's like, t- t- <laughs> but how do you do anything? You can't even touch your radio. Oh, yeah you just yank the pack out of the back there it is I can't touch it it's too freaking hot
0: <laughs> just put it in the middle of the table and everybody can gather around and warm up
1: between flights Yeah. It's hey dude it's black it will radiate very efficiently perfect see
2: hmm.
1: yeah I, I think that's all I got
2: cool who wants to go next
4: When it comes to fly barless systems, there are so many on today's market, it can be very difficult to decide which one is right for you. You really have to look past the price and start focusing on other things like customer service, product support, and of course, features and flight capabilities. In my mind, the Spartan Vortex flybarless system ranks right near the top when it comes to these categories. Their product support and customer service is second to none. They are constantly updating their units to improve the flight performance and bring you more features. So when shopping for your next flybarless system, visit spartan-rc.com.
0: Uh, I can go. Uh, let's see, got home, uh, well, that was two weeks ago. I, I got around to ordering parts for the small warp catastrophe I had. Yeah, what was the cause of that? Um, the cause Wait, of that before was. Before we do the cause, what tell, was it? Screw, uh, screws back out of my tail case. Uh. Yeah, it was great. Within about 10 minutes of showing up to RCHM4, <laughs> Dude, I saw this too. Yeah. 15 seconds into my first flight. You know, you know I've been in the car all day, so I just got up there and just started throwing around as hard as I could. And then all of a sudden, hero. That's uh, funny. I'm not putting any rudder on the sticks so I uh, hit throttle hold and brought it down I didn't have enough head speed because the tail boom actually broke and grabbed onto the tail belt which I think slowed down the drivetrain because I had like no head speed almost immediately and it was brought it tried to auto it but autoing it onto the head doesn't work very well and I had to order new parts to make a boom and that's fine Protos carbon fiber boom works well. I cut it down and I've got a jig that I 3D printed. and So it takes me about five minutes to fabricate a new boom for the stretch warp. Nice. Yeah, it'll be up and ready on fly this weekend and see how it goes. And maybe it'll hold together this time. I've had rough luck with it <laughs> over the summer. But, you know, I, I when you modify a helicopter, I don't know, It feel like uh, warranty complaints go out the window. Um other than that, let's see. I had a surprise in my cooler too, but it was not as cool as having some <laughs> hot apple pie. Mm-hmm. That's where I went. Yeah, I uh sandwich. Sandwich in there from the fun fly.
2: Oh. Oh yeah, no, it
1: was bad. It How long like- after did you realize this? Um, today, and it, <laughs> it wasn't so much realizing I had left
0: the sandwich in there, but more like, oh, I probably should look in the cooler. I think I left an ice pack in there and I opened it up and the smell like almost knocked me over. It was, it was horrifying, but uh, what do you do? Clean it out, throw it away. It's fine now. Um, I need to order some packs. I have not yet got up the. I don't know what do you
1: what for what? Helly Sage,
0: the seven HV. I destroyed that stick pack. I told you guys about that when I plugged it into itself, and then that was almost my other interesting moment at the fun flight. It it was. I felt like I was a second away from danger. I came down with the seven HV after a flight, and I pulled the canopy off, and one of my lipos is like a football, except for. I used strapping tape to attach them to the battery trays. And so it was puffed on the ends and puffed in the middle and cinched down like it was wearing a girdle. (laughs) (laughs) I saw that, you know, and I just started, you know, rip the, rip the pin out of the seven HV and yanked it out. And I took it over to the road and had some fireworks and, but yeah, that means I need new packs and I just, at this point at the end of september it's really hard to bring up the motivation to order new packs especially because the exo should be here at any point and i've got packs for it waiting um but yeah i need packs I need to order them i haven't decided what i'm gonna get yet
2: it's a it's a it's a tough yeah. go right now so worst
0: yeah that's what i'm seeing that's also why i'm not super motivated to to buy packs I've got a uh,
1: fantastic recommendation for you. Yeah, what's that? You should go to the RCHN battery database
2: and oh, draw your own conclusions. Out. Yep. Yeah. Which seems to actually, for the record, seems to line up with about where I'm at uh, on the battery review. I mean, pretty mm, fairly.
4: interesting. Yeah
2: which I thought was cool cuz I did have Oh,
4: you mean
1: in terms of packs that others are flying that are common with your review. Yeah,
2: yeah, just overall, it it seems like the I did have a kind of a I need to test it and I don't want to make accusations, but I am performance-wise, I'm getting a li- like it feels fine in the air. The graphene pack has started to warm up a little bit. And is starting to get ever so slightly puffy. I'm just noticing, you know, a little bit of a puff now.
0: Like softness to yeah,
2: it? Yeah, a little bit of soft. Yeah. And it was solid as a rock when it showed yeah. up. And that, that came on actually pretty fast over about a five flight span. But still in first is the pulse and op, both of the Opti Powers in second. Interesting. And second and third.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm going to have to That's about what I'd expect. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Not bad.
0: Well, good to have some recommendations. Yeah, I'll just, I'll keep looking, wait for a sale and get some packs.
2: And then the wind could change and they could all turn around and be completely opposite.
4: (laughs) (laughs) One light's on fire. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Welcome to the world of Lipos. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm counting on that football size battery to uh, be my my near miss for a flaming helicopter hopefully
2: <laughs>
0: cool uh yeah other than that i, I haven't had too much weeks. should be some flying next week but that'll be next week
4: you guys all know me and you definitely know what i look for when it comes to helicopters and that is reliability for several months now in hundreds of flights, I've been flying the MSH Protos Max. I'm to the point where I have complete confidence when this heli's in the air. I know that the quality manufacturing and the amazing part support from MSH USA will keep this model at the top of my list. For those of you looking for a top-notch 700 or even an 800-class helicopter that screams quality and has an unbeatable price tag, look no further than MSHUSA.com. Awesome, Jesse. Yeah. So I got in some like actual freaking legitimate flying, like not backyard flying. Oh, I could what? do full pair of flips. Whoa. Yeah. Did <laughs> a you, Renegade. Though. Yeah. No, I, I definitely did. Um got out on a week night nonetheless. Um yes being yesterday, Wednesday, headed there. I've been I've been working a little bit later this week, later for me. Not late in comparison to, I know what Justin works every single day, but, you know, got home, I think around four o'clock and then immediately headed over to Troy's to get some flights over there. So got in eight flights on the Protos. Um, and I got to say, it was really, really good to get out to the field. The weather was awesome. You know, nice clear blue skies and with how that field's really laid out, not a whole lot of wind. So another huge plus. But kind of building off what Justin said, I got to say the whole fall winter thing is becoming very, very apparent because by probably 6.45, 7 o'clock, um, and especially since, you know, at that field, I'm flying facing the east, so the sun is setting directly behind me, and I'm also at kind of at the bottom of a hill, which doesn't help with the shadowing and it getting early a little bit sooner than it would. It may be a different field, um, but probably by like 6.45, it was about time to just call it quits for the evening. So a pretty drastic change because it just seems like weeks ago, we were like nine o'clock or just starting recording. You know That's kind of my basis, just starting recording. And it's like, okay, the sun's just going down. And now it's just like all of a sudden that just that one kind of hit hard and it just seemed like it happened so fast. So it's f- becoming very, very apparent that fall and winter is here, which also means that if I'm going to be getting in some flying on the weeknights after work, it's really going to have to be you know, like my normal work schedule is getting home around three 15, three 30. Um, so it's going to have to be like, as soon as I get home from work, get on over to the field to be able to get in some flights. So, um, Overall, though, really good trip to the field. I do have to say um, I kind of had what I would consider a little bit of a breakthrough um, this week. And I know this is things like we've all gone through. I would say almost if you've been in the hobby for any length of time, I'm almost certain you've gone through a period like this, you know, where you just kind of feel like you really want to go to the field. But every single time you get to the field, You find yourself just doing the same thing. And I know we've hit on this before, but it's over and over and over. You go up there, you fly, you do your routine. You're like, all right, that was a good flight. Didn't crash. Got in the maneuvers that I'm, you know, that I'm practicing. Maybe a couple that I'm working on. Did my normal stuff and whatnot. Come back, plug in the, plug in the packs, put in the next battery, go out. And your next flight looks, well, almost the exact same. And so just this kind of repetitive, I don't know. I don't want to call it a slump, but you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Where you just, you feel oh, yeah, like dude. Every, every single time you're watching your Flat flight, toe. you're just like, exactly. You're just like, man, this, like, what you're just doing the same thing every flight. You're not getting any better. You're not really getting any worse. You're just out there. You're just out there to be out there, basically. And so I kind of had a little bit of a different mindset going out to the field this week before I even started charging any packs yesterday. I was sitting there at, at the bench in my garage, and as I'm kind of plugging in the batteries and loading up the helis into the truck. I was sitting there thinking, well, what was it that really, really drew me into this hobby? What kind of, you know, set the hook, drew me in and made me stay? And when it came down to it, it was the challenge. It was, you know, how difficult it is to fly. And you kind of couple all those things together. And really, that is what... I guess in a sense had been lacking over the last however many months, but it's like kind of sitting there and just reflecting upon my time in the hobby and thinking back to those first initial flights. It's like, everything seems so difficult from building the helicopter to setting up the helicopter. I I still remember back to those first hovers and it's like the tail and hover was just (laughs) so difficult to hold in one place and then side in and slowly transitioning through forward flight, stall turns, inverted. It's like everything was new and challenging. And I just remember there's, I just remember sitting there going, man, I'm never going to master this thing. It's like, it's endless possibilities. Not even really talking from like a technical side nerding out on the whole fly systems and all the technology that's come out since that point, but even just focusing on the flying side of things, it's really like, this is an endless hobby. And I really think that's what, you know, that's what kind of pulls people in. That's what pulled me in. And that's what makes it a long-term hobby is just that constant challenge. And so I was sitting there going, man, I don't even remember the last time it was like, you know, today, today at the field, I want to do X or I want to do Y. And let's make it a goal that when I get there, this is my purpose. These are the things I want to accomplish. And so just kind of sitting there thinking about this and I'm like, you know, why don't I just write some stuff down or set some specific goals for each time I head out to the field. So for this week in particular, what I kind of decided was it's like, you know, let's just start by picking maneuvers, stuff that either maybe I used to be able to do, maybe I'd done it at one point but not very well, or maybe something that I planned on learning but just never got around to, uh, learning on the sim and then translating that over to real life. So th- this week the maneuver for me was inverted autos. It's like pretty fairly low risk maneuver, something that you can practice. You can practice the approach. You can practice building the head speed. Um, You can, you know, worst case, you can bail out of it with the uh, ESCs and external governors that we have now. So it's like, what do I got to lose? So Well, and it's something that you've
1: done before, too, right?
4: It is. Yep. So you did it,
1: you, you maybe lost it or can't do it as well. So it's not mm-hmm. like you're
4: going and trying it for the first time off the sim. Exactly. It's not like it's a brand new maneuver, but it's one of those things where it's like, man, I'd really like to get back to doing those. And where I'm at right now, it actually feels like it would be a pretty good accomplishment or a good stretch. So just kind of setting that mindset or getting into that frame of mind before I go out to the field going, okay, this is what I'm going to accomplish. So in those eight flights that I put on the protosys last week, At the end of every single flight, probably the last minute or two was just inverted auto approaches. So practicing going up, flipping the helicopter over, building plenty of elevation, coming down, building the head speed, not hitting throttle hold, just going through the motions um, for the first probably five flights or so. And then as, you know, as I think happens with everyone, as you get more comfortable with the maneuver and everything starts clicking, um, By the end of the day, I did pull off a couple inverted autos. So it was one of those things where it's like it it just kind of brought me back right to the beginning where it's like it gets the blood pumping. The hands are shaking a little bit, even though it might not be the most dangerous or, you know, whatever maneuver that um, I could do or I could try to accomplish. It was just something that it stretched me. It was out of the norm and it didn't fall into that kind of day in and day out routine. So. I really think going forward, that's something that's going to help me get more excited about going to the field Um, because now I kind of have this list, you know, immediately when I got home from the field yesterday, I started this reminders list just going, all right, what are the goals? Like, let's get these, make a list out of it, check them off, pick one when I got to the field and make it happen. Don't focus so much on the normal routine. I mean, that's still going to be there. Those maneuvers aren't going to go anywhere, but Get back to pushing yourself a little bit, like you were when I was, you know, like I was when I was flying the sim all the time and learning new moves. So I don't know, just kind of a, a really good reflection week. Um, maybe finding some new tactics because you know, as we're coming into winter, and like I was mentioned, it's going to be harder and harder to get out because getting home from work, it's going to be getting dark earlier, it's going to be getting cold, and that motivation level just it never fails at it. It just drops off quickly as soon as you know, man. Do I really want to go stand outside? When it's you know forty degrees out, thirty-five degrees out, whatever, and knowing that you're just going to go through that same old routine, asking yourself why you know why am I out here? But I think if I can find that purpose and set that goal, and then slowly start checking that list off, and I really think that's something that can keep me engaged and motivated to uh, making it out to the field. So, so does that mean you're going
1: to start incorporating
4: sim as well, Jesse? I think eventually it will lead to the sim, but my immediate goal, like all the maneuvers and stuff that I have on the list right now don't necessarily require sim time. Um, it, it's mostly things that at one point in time I was either attempted, you know, and didn't, felt felt comfortable doing it in real life or something that I was really close to translating over from the sim into real life that I would still feel comfortable, you know, as we say, three mistakes high or two mistakes high attempting. Um, but for a while, I think, There's plenty for me to work on without reaching back to the sim. Now, I'm not going to argue. I think the sim would accelerate it greatly, but just trying to commit to that and work that into an already busy schedule. Not sure how realistic, but I'm sure truly that's what it's here when I'm trying to learn those brand new maneuvers. Yep. Yeah, I hear you. And so other than that, I do got to say, so aside from that getting out there and flying was was great I did so I know I think it was right either right before the fun fly yeah it must have been the episode right before the fun fly. I reported back if you remember I was trying to go through and put the hobby wing 160 on the protos and get all soldered in getting the current sensor soldered in and whatnot and I reported back no everything everything seems to be working fine uh current sensors. You know, amperage, max amps at the end of the flight seems fine. Milliamps use seems fine. Um, no real red flags. I don't know if I just either wasn't paying enough attention or, or wasn't flying as hard or whatnot, but this last time out at the field, I can tell you that that current sensor has definitely lost some calibration. It, it's definitely a little bit out of whack. So in order for me to get, I mean, so first what I did, because at the end of the flight, as you unplug the current sensor, the V-bar, the transmitter screen will show you the milliamps consumed. So that's kind of your baseline. It's, that's independent of what percentage you tell it to use of the battery, what your low voltage cutoff is, you know, and all that other stuff. It's just these are the milliamps that were consumed in the pack during that flight. And so comparing that to the numbers that my charger was reporting that I was putting in, there was definitely a little bit of a disconnect there. So I did spend a little bit of time going through and kind of doing some self-calibration, if you will, with adjusting the percentage used in the transmitter to find the sweet spot to get myself back to that 75 to 78% used. Because even though I think the calibration was, is a little bit off, I consistent. Um, so it's measurable, it's repeatable. And the mill amps consumed, what it's reading out on the transmitter seems to be consistent. Therefore, I don't have too big of a concern with kind of readjusting that percentage use. But um, I guess throwing that out there just as a little bit of a warning, if you do go and resolder directly to the board, um, just be cautious. <laughs> because in my case, it would have led to a huge over-discharge of some batteries. Um, But luckily, my kind of internal timer went off looking down at my transmitter going, ah, that's four and a half minutes. I should be getting close with these. I got the switchblades on there running at 2075, I believe, 2100 on the head um, going, that should be about there looking down at the battery gauge going. It still says I have a third of the pack left. Don't think that's the case. Think I'm going to land. So after running through those and, and comparing it to what the charger put back in, not quite there, so just a little little update on that, and I'll, I'll keep getting it dialed in. But right now, it seems to be consistent, so it, it's at least workable. But be cautious if you decide to uh, cut that thing open and solder to it. <laughs> and I, yeah, so fun, fun. I mean, it, it would have been bad. It's like th- those batteries would have been toast if I would have, you know, because when I did land that time, thinking. You know the the transmitters telling me I have a third of the pack left. I was already right at the eighty percent, so it would have been a bad day for those batteries. But oh, all day. LVC. Yep. So no, other than that, really, really good week. Um, same thing as Justin. I'm actually heading over to the WSU football game this weekend. Leaving tomorrow around noon. Going to watch my brother play, and uh, don't foresee a whole lot of, of flying this weekend, but. You know, getting out after work and making it happen during the week. So, it's been good. Right on. I'm glad to see that someone here is doing (laughs) some real flying.
2: Cool. Let's do some news.
3: This week's news is brought to you by superiority.com. All
2: righty. News time. We've actually got some news. Uh, let so I'm gonna I'm gonna start off with what I had talked about. Saved the kind of saved the day for me uh, with the radio thing. Uh, Mikado has now released the V Bar Neo V Basic Receiver. Now they've got it up there for 120 euros. Let's see if I can switch over. I don't know. They only have it on the. European site yet right now so I'll wait to get the final price on it
1: like 150 bucks if they're not reducing it for the US
2: yeah so it's uh it's an interesting thing what they basically kind of done is almost taken a neo and disabled the sensors and and the whole gyro portion of it and left it everything else intact and functional and then there's going to be a new app that's going to be out for it, and what this does is it it kind of turns it into a highly functional, full telemetry capable receiver uh, that will have the single line uh, output capability for the flybarless system, which is. Really, really, really freaking cool. Uh, This is, I mean, like. So uh, is it as big as a Neo, though, Nick? It's the same thing. Justin, now I'm going to speculate, and I'll probably get in trouble, (laughs) but that's what we do. That's what we do. I, (laughs) I actually think it is a Neo. Um, I think you're right. I'm
0: going to speculate to back you up because I read somewhere that you can actually uh, software unlock mm. it to being a full. You Neo. can.
2: So then, if you buy this, then you can upgrade it back to a pro, or should I not up back to. to but upgrade it to a fully functional new. So it's literally a. Then Neo. let
1: me speculate further. If that's the case, then why can't I speculate myself into a position where I can use a current Neo to do the same thing with a firmware upgrade? Or downgrade?
2: Uh, You, <laughs> I, I guess you, they sh- in theory, Why can't it just
1: be an option in the software where you go in and you'd be like, I want it to be single line receiver mode.
2: Yeah, maybe. Uh, no, I changed it my mind. I want little, it to be full ass fly barless mode. It would be a little... Dumb for you to do that, but you know, I'm not sure. They might uh, actually let you know. No, that.
1: dude, it wouldn't. Think about that. Just I mean, think about yes, you're right. For the average person, it would be, but think about it from your perspective. If you could mount a full Neo and let's just say a brain two, and the only thing you needed to do to switch between the two for test comparison. Was to go on the software and be like Neo Basic, full Neo.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. And you
1: could do back-to-back flights on two fly barless systems.
2: Yeah. No, I hear you. It's So what's kind of neat, now, you know, the price, okay, let me first start by saying, I think, and this is a guess, here's another speculation, we're just, this is a speculation big sandwich. I think my guess is that eventually they will just have like a satellite style receiver. I mean, I really feel like eventually they're eventually they are going to do that to where it's just V control plug straight in. I think so. But what's kind of cool about this, people would say, well, this is stupid. That's a ridiculous, ridiculously expensive for just for a receiver. But there's a lot of cool stuff the way the V control works as far as, you know, like the telemetry portion of it, um, the like the bank switching, the par, the security lock. I mean, just the whole layout of the radio is still very unique in the way that it does it. So I think that that's like, I just I think it's really cool um, you know, buddy boxing, you still get all of the advantages of the, the buddy boxing. It's just, it's going to be really interesting. There's so much on this as far as like what it can do that it's actually a little bit confusing. It's it's one of those where I feel like you're just going to need to do it. Cause see, you still get all of your telemetry stuff. Like you can still use the tell me, uh, for Contronic and all the rest of the like the UI sensor and all that stuff and, and just have basically whatever fly system plugged in there. So I don't know. I think it's going to be one that I'm definitely going to need to get in my hands and try. But, man, talk about solve all my,
1: solve it's all my problems. It's expensive
2: though, dude. It is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're now back in the... This is like rolling back to the days of the, the, know, the
1: blue line
2: or the black line. No, like the receivers, those like the old Futaba huge channel, like in the JR sixteen channel receivers and the twelve channel ones, dude. They were super expensive back then. and, well,
0: the, and it's a little expensive, but I, I mean, looking at it objectively, uh, it's probably the most fully featured receiver you can get so I'm it's not like you're paying for just a receiver
2: yeah I think that's actually a really now this is interesting and I don't I'm just going to come out I don't know what this means and Justin are you looking at this there the link that we've got there whenever we want to look at this and see if we can all it says multi-protocol single line receiver connect to other systems via proprietary or open protocols like SBUS and then it goes down the list. UDI. Are, are they saying it connects like these other ones do? No, no.
1: I think it says that it is capable of supporting all of those protocols.
0: Right. That's how I read that, too. So if you have a flybarless unit that uh, requires a UDI, you can use that. But if say you're running or uh, ppm
1: or
2: s bus. Yeah. Oh, okay or so i got it so say you all had it's some, saying is that it's uni-
1: it's effectively universally compatible with all of the standard single line modes of operation okay of I got which you. those are
2: some so if i wanted to put a cgy 750 in my cgy 750 said no you have to you know it's only going to work s bus that's all i'm I, and i don't know that for a fact i'm just Using that as an example, then you can right, put right. it into S bus mode, and and it would yes, correct. You. Okay, yep. gotcha. Well, I mean, uh, how do I put it? Do I think that this is the end all, end greatest thing in the world? No, I think it's still a little bulky. Do I think that this is opening a? This is the beginning of an awesome direction. Yes. Macado has surprised me over the years in in their in their willingness to almost kind of bend a little bit. It's like they're almost getting to the point where they're putting the ego aside and going for we would just like to make some money and offer the coolest products we can versus. Well, it's it's mine and therefore it's the best and you're just going to like it the way that yeah, it you is. have to fly. V-bar. You have to fly this and yeah, get yeah. Up and tough luck, but. Yeah, yeah. So th- this is this is cool. I dig it. Uh let's see. What else do we got here? Um. Oh, Sage, you probably know about this. Some people do. Experience and Compass.
0: Yes. So Prostar Hobbies is no longer the distributor for Compass in North America. We're moving to Experience RC. And the cool thing is, Experience actually has a network of retailers across the country. So. Your favorite retailer may start picking up some compass parts.
2: Oh, yeah, I got gotcha. you. I was leaning on
0: up. my favorite retailer
1: recently, so hopefully things work out.
2: Nice.
4: Hey, I hope
1: that helps with it, improvement of stock and so maybe those, even price. Those. Uh, what? I yeah uh, I it, so yes I,
0: it it should help a lot. Uh, uh, they've already started bringing in parts, fully stocking things. They're they're getting stuff in as quick as they can.
4: So Justin, to hit on that, I do know that some of the stock issues with Compass uh, in in the past has been due to the distributor. So hopefully we can see a little better order planning, a little better stock, a little you know get some parts in stock, and I I think you'll be impressed and surprised and i think we should see an improvement in that category yeah
1: absolutely i think we will that will be awesome for people that fly compass and maybe even make me interested in potentially flying a
2: compass again nice hey justin i have one on here (laughs) you have a new teammate (laughs) <laughs> yeah did you get I your do. poster
1: no i didn't that didn't come with the the with the you know with the the team package uh yeah so duncan boshan has announced that he has joined team x nova and you know we we i think we talked about this in the news at least sort of half-assed a couple of weeks ago. When he did the whole announcement on Facebook of leaving Scorpion and it, I'm not going to lie, it kind of threw up a stink. There was a lot of a lot of drama and some haters and some supporters and all that great stuff. I don't bottom line was
2: I don't think he has learned how to (sighs) he's really got and I don't know if this is a translation thing. I, I keep trying to give him the benefit of the doubt that it's a translation in from French to English. You know what I mean? But I've, I, I'm just... My gut says no, it's not, but I'm going to keep saying that I hope that it is. But he just hasn't gained that elegance and that professionalism yeah and, well,
1: and he's young I, I mean maybe there's a bit of lost in translation i tend to lean towards no as well um but hey i mean what it comes down to is what we've talked about before is like hey you may be able to fly the shit out of some shit but if you are a douche not, nozzle yeah or socially awkward or you know a bad communicator any a number of things that we can point to other current or past pro pilots and 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 observe um then it it somewhat lessens people's view of you in in the community's eye i think now having said that there're still a lot of supporters and i personally have nothing against duncan never never really spent much time talking to him um He's an amazing pilot, but I think ultimately he moved over because he's gotten a bit of a, a bit of a Woody for the whole FPV thing,
2: dude. Oh, it's money. It's just money. Let's be honest. He's, he's there to win money period. Well, but
1: doesn't he, doesn't he kind of sort of come from a wealthy family already? And so he's trying to make a money.
2: He made that very clear. I want to be a professional pilot. I want this. I want this to be my job. I want to make a living, and FPV is his fastest track to putting dollars or francos but, or whatever the hell they use over there in his pocket.
4: So, not to discredit that he stepped into that scene and started doing extremely well. Right? Oh, dude. Yeah. Uh, I, uh,
3: I, I don't mean, want like, to geez, dude, Talk
4: about just freaking domination yeah it's like holy i know
2: you feel really bad for the guys that were like fpv fly i mean he came into it pretty late too yeah and it's like the first time
1: i even knew he was doing it was when he kicked everyone's ass at (laughs) birth SmackFest at (laughs) urcha yeah Yeah.
2: going to fly my quad over here i'm gonna guess that i got the first place
1: if if he's not already on his way, then he will be soon to the the quote X Nova Legends team, which right now only consists of Bert and Tarek. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, <laughs> pretty ex- hey, pretty exclusive team. <laughs> I happen to think he chose a good motor, but that's just me. Uh, at the end of the day, I think all of the motors out there are awesome, but. Uh, Xnova has been pushing pretty hard on the FPV side of things. So.
2: Sweet. Well, uh, speaking of Scorpion, they've got, they, they've made some recent announcements. Sage, I think I'll let you roll with this one.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think the rumors have been out there for a little while, but they have recently announced they've got a new series of ESCs coming out. Uh, they're calling it tribunus series. So, on their website, they've got an announcement for a 6S uh, 120 amp ESC, and it's supposed to be right around the corner, coming in in mid October. Uh, adjustable internal BEC says 10 amps, 10 amp continuous, 20 amp peaks. So that seems pretty. I don't know. Uh, seems pretty standard now, but that that's a good thing because we like big beefy BECs. Um, it's got a stored governor and an unstored governor and external gov mode. And the really cool thing about the external gov is it sounds like they have been talking to the guys over at Mikado and uh, they are going to have uh, um, a way to set up the ESC through the V control. Um,
2: yeah, it's yeah. like it's going to be kind of like a fully integrated telemetry, the, the whole chili dog, there'll be like a separate little app for it. I think, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's still just kind of all out there, but no one knows the specifics, but it's headed in a pretty bitchin' direction.
3: Yeah.
0: And then on the Facebook, they've shared, uh, some pictures of a Tribunus 14 S 200 amp ESC. And that says it'll be here for Christmas
2: for all those speed guys. Oh, so they're going that one out nice. first, huh? Oh yeah. Um,
0: it uh, it looks like the and then they it looks like they will have ones for those uh those little quad racer guys too. Um, some four ESCs. It looks like
2: I want to know where the fourteen S one hundred and thirty is. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's where it's at. Fourteen S one hundred and thirty. I think so. I I mean features wise it looks amazing.
0: It's really cool that it um it'll do data logging and a data output port. Uh so it looks like probably J log as well. I would imagine that will support it before too long.
2: I just you know. Oh yeah, they've had such a bad run. George is super cool and I love the stuff he comes up with. But man, they've had, they've just had a rough go with ESCs in the past.
0: Well, this one's a completely different form factor from the past one. So, I mean, we can rest assured, I think, that this has been redesigned from the ground up.
2: Yeah. That's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Can can never
1: be with too many ESCs. So, this is, uh, I think it's awesome. I hope he nailed it this time, yeah, yeah absolutely
2: now I also see here in the news that it looks like pulse has joined the the graphene the graphene train. Let's see if I can pull up this link here. everyone seems to be going there um you know i'm I've had like I said moderate you know good good.
0: I just don't like all the all the extra weight that this graphene packs seem to be adding. And yeah. We found it to be quite mysterious because graphene the graphene that's added is like a, a nano layer. So it's not the it's graphene just
1: on the, electrodes. To the weight. Right. So yeah, I think they're douching us around really with matter. different capacities, say.
2: <laughs> Just yeah, Justin's calling bullshit. He's <laughs> it like, be, no way. Yeah.
1: That's my guess, but it's interesting that they chose first to go graphene on the smaller packs, which, Recent you know, at packs. first I'm thinking, yeah, this, so these are like the 4S FPV racer packs. Yep. I I think that may actually be a pretty smart business move because if it turns out that they really are that much better in performance and cycle count, then they can take the step up to the bigger packs. As opposed to sinking a shitload of money into the bigger packs and then finding out that they're a bust amongst the heli community.
2: Yeah. So I, I guess we'll see. Doesn't that just, wow, but I mean, that seems. 4S1550 for 46 bucks. Yeah. Ooh. That ain't cheap, bro. Seems to <laughs> so two more cells on there. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Yeah. What voltage? Uh, Justin. Yeah. Y- you have here a link entitled, Mavic Pro beats the dick out of GoPro. <laughs> would, <laughs> would you like yeah. to expand and on I'll that, I'll tell you please?
1: what. Um, I'm not going to be able to readily produce the link, but that was a headline. Okay. No. Seriously, it, it wasn't. I, I made it up. Um, Yeah,
2: we know it's you, the,
1: uh, the, so, okay. The, you guys have, have been seeing some of the new stuff that, uh, the, we'll call them, you know, what, what do you call them? You don't call it a, it's not an FPV drone. It's kind of like an aerial photography drone, right? Yeah. So the GoPro guys came out with, and I'm going to, I'm going to forget the, the name now. What is it?
2: i don't think it it's doesn't gonna matter. matter here shortly. it's not gonna <laughs> matter
1: yeah because they'll yeah. You, the last time you'll hear it is when they did the announcement last week um it's this really expensive gopro multi-rotor it's sort of handheld the arms fold out you can basically stick it i don't think you can stick it in your pocket although i heard people claiming as much stick it in a backpack or sticking. something yeah exactly something small <laughs> And, and you basically unfold the shit and it's got a, you cook a GoPro to it and it's got a downlink to a transmitter, a little handheld fold out transmitter with your phone and you're good to go. Um, a week later, DJI releases the Mavic pro and I had to read it a couple of times. It's not the Maverick. It's the Mavic or Mavic. I don't know how the hell you pronounce it. Pretty much the same exact concept but with every bit of like badass pimp style that we have come to expect out of DJI fold um, out arms, just kind of like the, the GoPro comes with a true 4k video camera with the gimbal and everything attached a uh, little tiny transmitter that you plug your smartphone into and you can view the stuff from there. Twenty-seven minute flight time, yes. and it's got all yes. of the yes.
4: I mean, dude, it's even and okay. Even Nick, if it's, here it's not
2: is. twenty-seven
4: minutes, even if it's sure. twenty,
2: yeah, 22. ready for, ready for <laughs> so. the
1: ultimate mushroom stamp?
2: Yes. How much does it
1: cost? One thousand bucks. Nine 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 nine. Okay. There have got to be some people out there feeling bad about themselves right now (laughs) because um, I think, oh, well, I mean, even those amongst us who are DJI fanboys can remember back two years ago when the Inspire one came out at like a whopping introductory price of thirty five hundred to four thousand. Now, Mm -hmm. I know people are going to argue it's not the same platform size. This probably has, uh, you know, different or limited, more limited capabilities, but for the average Joe dude, a thousand dollars out of the box, ready to fly, integrated into a smartphone with the portability, the duration and 4k video,
2: it'll do well. Game over to beat you and keep in mind, it's it's
1: beating the dick out of GoPro.
2: Yeah, it's streaming at 720
4: so, as well. Oh, that's yeah, that's true. Key. You're right.
1: You're right. Yeah.
4: So, so I did look up the GoPro one. It's called the uh the Karma drone. And it's priced at 799.99, but keep in mind that is minus the GoPro camera. Yeah, yeah it doesn't come that's, with a camera. It does not come with a camera. Ooh. It does come with the controller. Karma. The drone, the. Is that a gimbal, little bit of the stabilizer? The the name there the or Karma? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: what are you doing? You can't make a drone, you silly little man. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the most expensive GoPro
0: accessory ever.
2: Uh, yeah. Well, well I and think- the other cool
1: thing is that, like, they, I, you know, DJI always got, they come out with this new shit and it's like a new platform, but it comes with a bunch of new technology. And the one new one that I see here that I've not uh, heard of before is the OcuSync transmission system. You guys reading that or offering up to like four miles of video range? Oh, I saw that.
2: It, they are so just dominating. I mean, I, I think the big thing with this one, uh, dude, I don't mind telling you. Okay, so here, are, are you ready? You're going to hear Nick say it. This one officially has my personal attention.
1: Oh, yes. hell no. Yes. Yep. You, you are. Know. You need to back off then on giving me shit about getting I one will. of these, man. Well, Dude, the, well here's why. The, the okay, other thing.
2: But you got to really look at the physical size of this. Okay. I mean, the phys- it is so flipping small. The controller without your phone on it. I mean, the controller is smaller than your damn phone itself. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you can pack this like it actually looks like you could pack up everything, the controller and the unit itself in slightly larger than like a child size lunchbox.
1: I think it would you could fit it all on top of an iPad. In the space oh, yeah. taken up by an iPad.
2: Yeah, so for for myself and, and some, you know, I like to get out the big thing, and this is going to be the, I, I'm sure all the guys that have the Inspires when they saw this just pooped a little bit because it's like, oh, oh, I just, <laughs> wow, well, okay. Or a, or a lot. Yeah, or a lot. <laughs> but what we don't know, and we won't know until it's out, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that records at 4K, right? And so it's 4K, 30 frames a second. But we just don't know the quality of the camera yet.
4: Uh,
1: I think we do because the eh. camera is the same. I guarantee you it's either the same or the next, uh, like, generation as the 2.7 and 4K that they were selling with the original Phantoms. And those are nice-ass cameras, dude.
2: That could, you know, that could. If the camera's good, look at their history. If the camera's good, then I would definitely be. I would look into it myself because here we go. Here,
1: here's it's in the FAQ. What's the difference of the camera between the Mavic and Phantom Four? The two cameras have the same features, but the Mavic's camera has a smaller field of view, is able to focus as closely as a half a meter and can be rotated 90 degrees for portrait shots and selfies. The Phantom, Phantom 4 larger field of view makes it better suited for landscape imaging. Oh, that's interesting.
2: Yeah, but dude, it was such a wide field of view that I feel like it...
1: Well, it's kind of like the old school GoPro where, or hat cam, yeah, where yeah, it's, yeah.
2: it's
4: a little too it's wide. It's huge.
2: Well, if it's the, good, man, I'd be tempted because I think it would be just bitching to and feasible to throw this with a couple batteries, Well, even a couple. Screw that. I only need one uh, a battery and throw it in my in my day hiking pack when I go up hiking. You get to some of these places, mm-hmm. and man, I can you know someone with some actual flying skills. It would be incredible to to do a little selfie circle, you know, around the peak, when you hit the peak of a mountain, or, I mean, just... All the
4: features, like, having it follow you as you...
2: Yeah, I mean, this is, just it's all the stuff, the cool stuff of the larger ones before that I liked, but now it's in a size that I would actually want to tolerate.
3: And, dude, Uh, it was stream
1: footage at 1080p.
0: Wow. What was that, Sage? All all folded up. Just for reference, all folded up. This thing is about the size of a stack of five DVDs. Actually, it's smaller, but that's pretty close.
4: (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Wow. And then the the thing I was thinking is you could also, could this be really a dual feature, a dual purpose platform with talking about the top speed, which I think they called out at 40 miles an hour, something like that. And then also having the ability to purchase you know, goggles and all that stuff with the technology that's built into it. Could this also be your FPV machine? Oh,
1: dude.
0: Um, so here's an right interesting in, thing about right in range. range, um, the 7-kilometer, 4-mile range. It's got a funny little asterisk next to it, which says, when FCC compliant. So I'm not all up on the rules of that 100%, but I know that there are limitations there and it's interesting to release a product to the public that can exceed based on judgment.
2: Yeah, they're just, they're saying just in case, (laughs) just in case this is allowed, we can technically, we will have the capability of going Way the hell out there, which I mean, okay, whatever. You really don't. I don't see needing to go that far out with a machine like this.
4: Oh. No, when you can have a twenty-seven minute flight time at forty miles an hour,
1: it has it has <laughs> it's automatic gonna people obstacle, people obstacle
4: avoidance. That that's what I yeah. mean. This could will be automatically... a real dual purpose. Go ahead, Jesse. The, no, I was well, just. I can
0: see it now. Don't worry, guys. I can fly it. 800 feet in the air, it has automatic obstacle avoidance. Yeah,
1: It says it will automatically avoid obstacles 50 feet in front of it. The maximum speed at which it's able to avoid obstacles is 22 miles per hour.
2: That's still booking, dude. That's impressive.
3: And it has
1: something called precision landing, which is an upgraded version of GPS return to home. Um, It needs a GPS signal strong enough to initiate But once it gets to the point of takeoff, it needs to be able to visually recognize the pattern of the ground it took off from. For example, cracks or other identifiable patterns. A uniform patch of sand, however, is not suitable for precision landing.
2: Wow, dude. Yeah, see, that's why you can't mess with DJI.
1: These guys are serious business. They really are. I mean... What can you say about that? It's an impressive product.
3: Cool, cool. Well, that wraps up news. This week's news is brought to you by Superiosity.com. For superior quality web and mobile development and design with a 100% money-back guarantee. That's always on schedule and budget. Get the most from your website from www.superiosity.com or www.dudemanlarry.com. Not kidding. Check him out. Everyone knows that I am not fond of changing things up. Something's working for me. I stick with it. Recently, I decided to try a new Rev Electric's Power Lab 8. And as you'll hear the guys on the show say from time to time, you just don't know what you don't know. The PL8 is a powerhouse, and if that isn't enough for you, well, why don't you check out the Dual Power Lab 8? Now, the coolness doesn't end there. You want to get even more sexy? Go get your bump on. It. Bump charging is the future. Don't believe me? Well, then you know nothing, John, listener find out more information at www.revelectrics.com All right let's see what do we want to talk about
2: this week We had something up here let me pull up my my notes antennae antennae Antenna. antennas 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 <laughs> antennas.
1: Antennae, tanners.
2: Yeah, they're Look at them tanners.
4: Look at them tanners.
2: That's, that's tanners. a fine looking pointy tanners you got sticking out there.
4: Yeah, you we, sending me a signal, or is that just me? <laughs> yeah. oh. Wow! Oh, yeah, nailed it.
2: When you win. Oh, so, so that's been a little bit of a kind of a discussion. Uh, lately, because we've seen some issues, and it kind of goes—you know—goes way back. I think that uh, routing your antennas is something that people still, after all these years, manage to get incorrectly, and then the lost art no one ever found. Yeah, that is very, very, very true. <laughs> and now all of a sudden, or understood. Uh, there's a, there's a product material that is becoming more prevalent in our models, more prevalent on our tail booms, more prevalent in our canopies that does not play well with antennas. That's carbon fiber. Justin, you've had some experiences with this. Oh yeah, absolutely. I have, um, why don't you run down what what you found and your personal challenges that you've had? Sure. So carbon fiber, it it is a lot
1: different um than the fiberglass that we I think have come to expect in the last several years, decade or more. You now, most of the time canopies are made of fiberglass. Booms are made of now, boom booms are made of aluminum typically, which is is uh, similar to carbon fiber in a way I, I will describe here pretty soon. But they're a lot smaller than the carbon fiber booms are typically um, what what the main difference is that people don't think of. It is lighter weight. It is stronger and stiffer, but it's also conductive because it is, as the name suggests, a load of fibers made out of carbon and carbon is is a is a conductor. Right, you can uh, you can run current through it. So, what does that mean? Uh, basically, what carbon fiber can do, or conductors in general will do, is act as a reflector of uh, of radio signal. Okay, the electromagnetic waves that are being bounced back and forth between your transmitter and receiver. Uh, can be augmented, can be reflected, uh, can be modified when they impact uh, conductors or conductive surfaces. And so on a helicopter, the biggest surface area that is conductive is your frames, generally, if they're made out of carbon fiber. And in some of these newer models, like you alluded to, Nick, the fuselage or the canopy or even the boom, So what that basically means is you got to be very careful about how you place them. And and I think we'll talk more generally about antenna placement as we go on in the topic. But what I do want to do is talk a little bit about, as you said, my experiences with it recently. You know, when you, you take a look at the playing field in terms of models out there, I wouldn't say that every brand is going to carbon fiber or going more towards carbon fiber, but a number of them are. You got, uh, obviously, SAB uh, has been employing carbon fiber in a lot of their designs, and even more so now with the lighter weight next generation booms, right, on the 500, Mm -hmm. the three eighty. Uh, Of course, the older school 700 versions have carbon fiber booms, and you can also buy carbon edition models. And what that means is that in addition to the boom, you got a huge ass canopy that's made out of carbon fiber. I happen to have uh, the carbon edition canopy and boom set for the Goblin 500 Sport, Um, basically because I thought it looked pretty cool and could save some weight after I burn it uh, in the big Dick playa incident. And (laughs) yeah, well, so, so the problem that that causes is that typically you put your receivers kind of inside your canopy or in that general vicinity. And so it's covered by the canopy in a fiberglass canopy case, the fiberglass is not conductive and really, uh, to, 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 to put it in simple terms, The electromagnetic waves, the radio waves that are being transmitted, don't really even see the fiberglass. They don't care. They will go through it uh, with very little uh, attenuation, reflection, or modification. Now you put a carbon fiber canopy around that, and you got a big-ass shield. So, um, I, I have run into this in two particular cases one is the 500 sport with the new canopy and two and quite a bit more challenging was the TDR2 uh the TDR2 boom is entirely carbon fiber of course the frames are just like most normal Hellys nowadays but I chose to upgrade when I placed my order uh to the lighter and incredibly more sexy carbon fiber uh, canopy And if you guys have seen the TDR 2 canopy, it is huge and it it's, you know, it's one step below a fuselage in terms of how well it wraps around the model. There is no open space except for where the main shaft comes out a little bit and then down at the bottom by the retracts. And so with that much additional carbon fiber sitting around, first, you got to make sure that you've got the antenna route or the antennas routed outside of that carbon fiber by a fair amount. Um, And then I needed to be very careful about was I getting any signal loss based on the different orientations and such that I would be flying in. Um, And so I did a lot of some might call it overkill, but when you're putting a four or $5,000 model together, I'm not sure there is such a thing, um, other than the amount of money that you just put into it being defined as overkill. And so I made sure that I was super careful about checking all aspects of the radio system before I ever maidened it. and Like a range to, check? Yes, exactly. Like a range check. A what? Yeah, a, a what? what? Jesse. <laughs> now, read okay. About so, and this is where Jesse plays dumb, but explains to us how he does range checking.
4: I place the receiver on the helicopter. I fly the helicopter. The <laughs> helicopter does not fall out of the sky due to interference issues. I check the box saying range check, check. Range
1: check. Range check has been Success. completed. completed. <laughs>
4: Okay, and and
1: you know what? I'm not going to give you too much of a hard time because as bad as it sounds, I think most people are are the same
4: as what you said. One caveat, never had a helicopter with a carbon fiber boom or canopy.
2: Fair point. Uh, I can can take his range check and I can bring it to the (laughs) next level. I put my model in the air on the buddy box with someone else And wait to hear if it automatically disconnects and reconnects from the buddy box setup. Oh, geez,
3: Nick.
4: If If it does, if it does,
2: range check, unsuccessful. Land the helicopter, repair as needed. (laughs) Okay, so I, I think there are a lot of people
1: in your boat. And honestly, when you guys, as the listeners, hear this, I'd like you to go to helifreak Freak in our forums and tell us in this show thread for episode 251 whether or not you do range checks. I really like to, and you know what? Maybe when I set that up, I will do a poll. That's what I was going to say. Do a poll because I I really want to know what what people you know what people typically do. Um, l- let me point out that while. You have always been successful, not range checking it in a formal sense. Um, It's also probably because you're not completely stupid and you understand the general principles about placing antennas. Uh, You know, you do have carbon fiber in your model. Like we discussed, it's the whole frames. But most people in the hobby, I think, have heard of um, or learned from others the rule of thumb that you just keep your
4: antennas away from the
1: airframe, from the carbon fiber.
4: Oh, you mean you don't want to treat your antennas like receiver or like uh, servo wires and try to hide them all inside no, the frames? No, no. Yeah. Oh. That's,
1: protecting them
4: with the carbon fiber <laughs> yeah,
1: is a surefire way to get yourself in trouble. I'm keeping them shielded. <laughs> so. Uh, Yeah, so when you look at all all of the newer models that we talked about, the goblins, we've got the Protos, uh, in particular, the Evolution has that massive carbon fiber tail boom on it. Um, What else? We've got the tail boom cover on the Synergy 766. Our buddy James Cadiz recently had an issue with that uh, Mm -hmm. on his jetty and his uh, 806, I guess he built it as. Uh, we had speculated at the time that it might be some sort of an interaction between the carbon fiber boom and the antennas because of where he placed them. It turns out he actually had a faulty transmitter module when he sent it back. Um, and so, uh, you know, he, he got that fixed, but more models are coming out with carbon fiber and you got to know how to deal with it. So how do we deal with antenna placement? Nick, I know you Take haven't done out. a range check, but I think you get the rule of thumb.
2: Yeah, so in a in a two antenna setup when you have your two longer little whip antennas, biggest key is ninety degrees from each other. No you don't run them parallel. Don't tape them together. <laughs> don't <laughs> shove them straight down. <laughs> um
4: don't cut uh, them off.
2: Yeah, don't cut them off. <laughs> don't don't do any of that. I shoot for one on either side, um, one on either side of the airframe it is a must. And this is even you know in a fiberglass um, in a fiberglass canopy. And then try and get them ninety degrees to each other. Now I understand that sometimes that's can be. It doesn't have to be perfect. I've had success. Truthfully, I've had success with, you know, one going one way, kind of one point in the other. I usually run one down uh, out one side and point that one straight down, and the one on the other side of the airframe, I'll, I'll bring it around and maybe point it straight forward or straight up. Just try and make them as opposite of each other as possible, not parallel. Get one on either side of the frame. Now, if where you ha- do
1: you do that? Since you fly all goblins, there, you know, each model kind of has its own ideal, you know, couple of ideal spots.
2: Yeah. On the fiberglass canopies, it's really easy because they have those, the really nice slotted sections up at the top of the side frame. And, well, for that matter, it's even easier on the fiberglass ones because you have, Um, On the larger models, because you have the, a lot of people don't even know, it has antenna holders on the back of the aluminum block right above the boom. Those two little round black things, that's what they're for. They're made to- Yeah, the
1: rubber, the little rubber deals with the holes on either side. Dude, that is such an awesome design.
2: You tighten them down at a slight, you know, so say 45- each one at a 45 degree angle, one antenna goes in one, one goes in the other. And now that puts them at 90 degrees, pop your canopy on. You don't need to, I mean, I just slide them through and that's it. Leave it done. Super easy. Uh, where I was joking about the buddy boxing thing was the, was the nitro was the black nitro. Definitely ran into some problems with that because I just forgot. I didn't think about it. I'm not running carbon canopies on my models. So I put, you know, um, hooked them up like normal and all of a sudden, oh, you bet I was having signal problems and fast. I mean, very <laughs> apparent. So that gets a little more, gets a lot, I'm not even going to say a little bit, a lot trickier. Um, I have gone in the direction of using... Um, On Mikado USA's website, they have some pretty cool antenna holders. And so you can, a combination of using those and then heating. uh, Here's another little cool trick. You can go down to almost any hobby shop and get the little antenna holders for the RC cars, right? The ones that stick out of the top. The little plastic tubes. Yep, plastic tubes. Well, those work fantastic. And why do they work fantastic? Because you can heat them up with your little micro torch that everyone should have or your heat gun and mold and bend and do whatever you need to do. So zip tie them down or or double side stick tape, whatever you got to do, and then heat those up and bend them like on the goblins. I bend them up. To where they come up out of the the crease in the canopy right behind the anti-rotation rack. Yep. And that with,
1: way they're sticking out clear of the carbon fiber yep. canopy. And
2: one's yep. going 45 right, one's going 45 off to the left, which gives us our 90 degrees that we need. And they are clear of the carbon fiber.
4: Yep. With With that being said, you can even mold heat shrink like that. It might not be quite quite as stiff when it cools down, but you can get it to yes you hold can. A, a pretty good You're direction right. with when you use the double stick tape. Hold the majority of it down, and then you know the last however however long dis, you know of, of distance at the end, you can mold that and have it stick out from the um, frame a little bit.
2: Yeah, if, if I if if I wasn't running a, a the the what makes the goblins challenging is the canopy so long you know, in the back where it Mm -hmm. tapers down all the way to the boom. If I was running a shorter canopy, I would definitely look into, they actually have that same antenna mount. You know, you can put it right on top of the boom block, stick them out the back like that. that And they even have one that's rounded on the bottom to put on the boom itself. Now, the key there, if you're going to do anything like that, is to have make sure the antenna, uh, the antennae or antennas, can slide freely within the tube. So that in the event of a crash, if you rip the boom off, the antenna are just gonna slide right out of the two little tubes. You do not want to secure them um, permanently to the tubes. Uh, because that you'll rip your tenors out. I've done that. Yeah, and you know
1: <laughs> the tube thing, I think the tube thing's a really great Uh, great option. I had never thought of using that before. I did what Jesse is describing, which is either use, um, you know, heat shrink. And in fact, another trick, Jesse, which I'm sure you know, is if you stack multiple pieces of heat shrink on top of each other, then it really stiffens up and you can pretty much get it to do whatever you want to do. It does. But, you know, the other way I'll do it is I, I can I'll use fuel tube because it has a little bit of stiffness to it, especially in shorter lengths. And, uh, you know, kind of like what you're getting at, Nick, is in a fuel tube, you know that in a crash, there's not enough friction in there to the point where the antenna is going to get stuck. So that'll come right out, no problem. But Yawn on the TDR2 actually gives you two custom-molded plastic uh, antenna tubes, and oh, nice. he's got a little aluminum block that has two holes in it. And you stick the tubes into the holes and they kind of pop out like little whiskers underneath the canopy. Um, hmm. So, you know, people should definitely look into doing that sort of a thing. Um, If you don't want to do it that way, there are a number of uh people who have come up with like 3D printed designs of like a little 90 degree bracket. Yep. where you just kind of slide your antennas through a tiny little hole or a guide, and then they come out along the the edges of the 90-degree angle part, and you can either, you know, sticky tape them down or zip tie or whatever, uh, and it looks really nice and professional, and it does the job in terms of keeping the orientation. Uh, so I, I think bottom line is you you nailed it, Nick. The 90 degree thing is key. It really is, um, on two antenna systems and, uh, and maintaining sufficient distance between the tips of the antennas and the, the closest piece of carbon fiber, whether it's your canopy, whether it's your airframe, uh, your tail boom, whatever it is, you want to keep it far enough away. Uh, from the from that conductive surface. Now you know most nowadays most radio systems use uh, a, a single receiver that has two long whip antennas. And so you know depending on the model, I know on the Jetty you can get ones that are like three or four inches long, and then you can get ones that are like six or eight inches long. And you see at the very end there's a little yellow piece of shrink tube. That's the active portion of the antenna element. All the rest of it is covered with what amounts to a conductive shield up to the the specific length that is needed to radiate. Um, On Neo uh, V-Bar Neo, I think you got a similar setup. Is that correct? Kind of like the old school Futaba long whips. I think the only thing that uses an antenna is Spectrum anymore. I guess yeah,
0: Spectrum J- uh, st- still uses small antennas. And JR uh, though, I does I think some as well. Full-size receivers do use a dual whip.
2: Yeah, that's right. Okay.
0: But that's only full-size receivers. And I can tell you a lot of Spectrum guys that fly helicopters don't even get close to full-size
1: receivers. Mm-mm. Yeah, right. So on the Spectrum side of things, it's actually not much different. Um, you don't really have the long whips that the, the intent of the, the satellite is to be able to kind of locate them remotely on a longer wire and the antenna elements are out at the end of the little plastic uh, module there. But the rule of thumb and spectrum will tell you as much is that, uh, for example, for a two or a two, uh, satellite system, you want the two satellite antenna axes to be 90 degrees opposed to each other. So when you look at one of the satellites, they got the two little antenna whiskers poking out um, in line on one on either side. That's one axis. Now you take the other uh, satellite and it's got another axis and you want them to be 90 degrees opposed, just like Nick was describing with the whips. Yep. And away from carbon fiber, which I'll tell you can be difficult on the spectrums because you don't have really much length and it's hard to suspend a relatively big plastic satellite receiver uh, out in the, you know, sort of off the airframe or the boom so that the antennas are away from the carbon fiber.
0: And it's it's important. In, there's a myth that's been going around for as long as I've ever been in the hobby. And that myth is that on a spectrum remote receiver uh, or satellite, uh, that only one side of one of those antennas is actually the active element. And it's not true. And that's, uh, I think, maybe comes from the idea that you need two remotes 90 degrees from each other. People assume there's only one active element to the antenna. It's actually, I believe, a dipole antenna. I know both elements are active and receive, and it's imperative that both elements are in open air. So, it, I mean, I see it every day, pictures of, you know, where it, it's really bad on goblins because goblins are really tough to uh, locate your remotes on. But all the time I see, you know, just one element hanging out in the air, and it, it's, it should be both elements all the time.
2: See, there was a a great article, and it's it's really easy to find uh, if you just do a little Google search for, like, what, spectrum antenna placement or something like that. An old article comes up. uh, I think it was on R. Kelly or something like that. Guy wrote this just huge thing, and it was, yeah, he was saying that the left one is the active one and the right one was the ground.
0: A lot of his placement um, advice is really good, but that is incorrect. I I did talk to uh, uh, Andy Kuntz. I believe he's a spectrum engineer, and he confirmed that both sides of the antenna are absolutely active and should be uh, in the air. But he also said that if we're flying helicopters, it's actually way better to buy the carbon remotes and use an antenna guide like you were talking about for uh, like the full size receivers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what they actually would recommend to helicopter pilots. And it's an extra 15 bucks a piece out of us, though. I
2: don't know. Sweet. Well, that's good to have that debunked. Nice.
1: So, so before we get off the topic, though, you should do a range check.
3: <laughs> yeah. Does everyone know yeah. how to do
1: a range check? I mean, even if you, every radio nowadays should have a range check feature. Okay. And go, you know, everyone's different. Go into your radio manual, look it up. It'll tell you the details, it'll explain what's going on there. Um, even if you don't do the range check feature, uh, a really quick and easy way to do it is to, uh, in in a radio that doesn't have um, we'll call it signal quality telemetry on the screen, then you get a buddy to sit next to your helicopter. You, know, you place it out in the field, uh, have them uh, stand next to it, and you walk far away in each of the four cardinal directions. You know, say a couple hundred feet, football field, somewhere in that range. And all the while you are wiggling your collective and rudder and cyclic and uh, and making sure that your friend can still confirm that, yes, the movements are uh, are being translated into actual servo movements. Uh, what I like to do is tell someone, "Hey my I'm going to do up collective, down collective, left rudder, right rudder. Forward elevator, back elevator, left aileron, right aileron. That way, they know sort of the sequence to look for. Um, and if you get to uh, to a point where your signal is poor, then that will be manifested as your friend saying, "Uh, no, it's doing something funky. It's jittering. It's not responding, or whatever." Uh, you know, you get them on 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 your phone, or just have them give you a thumbs up, or whatever. That's sort of the the old-school way of doing it. Nowadays, there are a number of radios out there that have uh, signal-quality telemetry. Um, on the jetty, uh, they have that option, and so they give you signal quality from a range of uh, 1 to 10, basically, and what I'll do is I'll go put the heli out there, which I did with both of these carbon fiber helis I was discussing. And I go and walk all around the heli in 360 degrees about, you know, a couple hundred feet away. And I look at the uh, signal quality off of both antennas. Uh, and if it gets below sort of the threshold of comfort, which for me is right around four ish uh, out of 10, then we've got some issues now. The flaw in this approach that is not necessarily representative of how you are going to get it in flight is that if you stick your helicopter on the ground and then you go and walk far away, especially if your antennas are close to the ground, then you are going to get signal interference because the ground is there. And so better way to do it, stick it on top of a table. Get it up off the ground, put it on top of one of your little plastic pit tables or something like that, and then go and do your range check. And that's probably more representative.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Nice. And
2: if it works there, you should be good to go.
1: (laughs) Give it or as you do it, Nick, just go and beat the shit out
2: of it and hope that it stays. I've yet to have one. I've never lost one from uh from that sort of an issue I mean I've had transmitters go bad, but that's a that's a different thing that's that's a spectrum issue <laughs> well, I was gonna try and not say that oh but, oh, oh too far oh yes yeah, like, you missed that no <laughs> mm. cool right on man well, I'm digging it now go check your sh- go check your shit. <laughs> 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 yeah, you guys
1: tell us what what whether you guys do it. I let's let's take bets. What what are the percentages here? Let's uh, do uh let's do a prices right game.
2: I say 60% and we're not offering
1: penny pennies cuz the winner will never get them.
2: Uh I say 60% do it right, 30% do it Nah, workable but could be better and 10% is like, oh my God, we're all going to die. Game over.
0: I'm going to go on this, this sample size here and say 80% say screw it and then you've got that one guy out of five or four. I guess it'd be 75% say screw it.
2: Oh, wow. Hmm.
1: I am going to say 68% don't do it.
4: I'm I'm going right down the middle. Fifty. 50. Oh, are you
2: talking range check or proper antenna placement? Sorry, I missed. No, no range check, dude. Oh, range check. Sorry, I thought it was proper range check. <laughs> yeah, we're oh, doing dude. range check. I'm going 80, ninety. I'm going ninety-five five. <laughs> or, or,
4: Damn. or more.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so Nick's got ninety-five. Sage, you had what eighty? Yeah, we'll just call it 80%. We could See do that. a poll. do do it. Should we do uh, a I'm poll? Do, we're going to do a poll. I'm going to set up a poll. Let's 68% do a poll. I've got. Jesse, what do you got? Let's go 75, 25. 75. Okay. So the bigger number in all of our cases is the number of people that don't do it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm holding solid at my 95. <laughs> cool. Sweet. Well, hey, guess what? Moving on from that, before we get out of here, I have something cool that happened-ish. But it's going to be even cooler. So, uh, out of all the wonderful people that donated to the Funfly, Random Heli was one of them. And they sent us uh, two pairs of their T-Track system uh, for doing the whole skid clamps. You know, they've got that those badass skid clamps that everyone loves for mounting your helis down. Well, they have a system called the T-Track system, and it, it basically leaves those skid clamps on an adjustable, slidable track so that you can constantly move, add helis. You know, if you swap different styles of skids or whatever, you're not drilling and redrilling holes and drilling and re-drilling. So I've got two uh, complete pairs of those here that, unfortunately, they didn't make it in time before the fun fly. So I think that I think we should give a set of those away, don't you think? Hell Ooh, yeah. Indeed. Does anyone and we didn't talk about this. Does anyone have that button ready? Oh, man, it is.
4: Fired up, ready to click, dude Jesse. Yeah, uh, Jesse's got his
1: trigger finger on the winner <laughs> I was looking winner at the show now button
4: all the time. All right, cool.
2: Well, I think we should. Uh, I think we should fire up that button and give her a go and and give away some
4: give away some stuff. Oh, you have you have like a cool drum roll or something you could throw on there, right?
2: Yeah, I'll I'll do one.
4: Okay. Yeah. Drum you're ready? roll, please. Brrr. And the winner of the Skid Clamps is citizen number 696, Patrick Collins.
2: Patrick Collins. Congratulations. Patrick Collins. 696. I wonder if if Patrick Collins lives in the United States
1: for once. Uh, That was going to be my next comment
4: too, dude. RCHN username, Fighting Gravity. Oh, nice. It's a good one. Yeah, it's like every time I fly.
2: <laughs> cool, man. Well, congratulations, Patrick. We hope that you enjoy them. Um, why don't Ah? Yeah, hell, give it a shot. Send me an email at CC at me. Yeah, CC Jesse and everyone else. Yeah, just
1: CC us all, please. Yeah, yeah. yeah send we'll me get you an hooked
2: email. Went through from with your information, and I will. Uh, I'll get that. Sent out. Cool. I like giving stuff away. It's always fun. Uh, speaking of stuff, shortly, uh, I do believe it should be any day now. Ken will have the website updated. We have the no drones here uh, shirts. What are what, what remain of them? We manage the people who are at the FunFly. Definitely capitalized on all of the apparel being there and the massive order that we did. We sold over half of it just at the Funfly. So that's pretty cool. So we're going to be restocking again, but there is uh, still stuff in stock. There are some of the No Drones Here shirts as well as um, uh, restocking of the older apparel. So if you see it on the website, it should be all up to date. Let's see what else am I meant, boy, I can't think of anything else. No, I think that's no, pretty I much it. I and And
1: it. I guess along the lines of the apparel, we're gonna see how once we get it updated on the website, how well it moves, and then we may, you know, depending on the the interest in certain apparels, place another order. So definitely uh, keep us up to speed on what you like and what you don't like, and we'll consider that going forward.
2: Yeah, yeah. Tech tips, um, we are coming into the fall slash winter season, which for us is fairly long, which means, yay, we'll we'll actually have some more time to start doing those again. (laughs) So be looking for those. There's a lot of companies out there kind of making some adjustments with their stuff once they get that all dialed in. We'll get some tech tips up. I will probably try – I'm going to put – I'll probably put one up just for now temporarily until Wing gets that whole RPM output deal solved. Uh, I'll get one up for that just to be able to archive that and let everyone know. Uh, yeah, do us a favor if you can. The only thing that we ever ask if you can possibly do is if you place an order um, with anyone that sponsors our show or if you want anything at the fun fly, you know, shoot them a message and just say thanks for supporting RC Heli Nation. That really makes it worth it and helps us out a ton, allows us to keep doing what we're doing and keeps everything as cheap as possible, and that's how we like it.
4: Another thing to note, guys, is when you're listening to this, scroll back a couple days and a new newsletter will have come out. So if you haven't yet subscribed to that, check it out. The RCHN Newsletter, just a good place to do a little bit of a monthly check-in, see what episodes have come out in the last month, and also get a little bit of a quick tip and a quick little look ahead and what you can expect in the next month from the show. So, good bit of information there. Awesome. Thank you, Jesse, for doing that.
2: Cool, boys. Who wants to take us out? Let's do it. Are we ready?
1: I, I think I'm ready. Do it. This has been episode number two hundred and fifty-one. We sure hope you all enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. We will see you
2: next week. You don't want to touch my tanners? <laughs>
4: Look at them tanners sending me a signal. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, later. This has been a production of RC HeliNation LLC and is brought to you by BK Designs Soco Heli Tools, Progressive RC RevElectrics USA Lower Heli Superiority and MSH USA If you have any comments questions or suggestions please feel free to send us an email.